Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given after the depressing defeat to Australia in the Ashes for the England boys. The Ashes are not coming home and if the Test team keeps playing like this, they're not going to be coming home anytime soon, by the way. Frankly, it was embarrassing. (laughs) It really was quite painful at times to watch as an England fan and uh, the Test was all wrapped up inside, well, just over three days, basically. Um, I've seen lateral flow tests last longer than this third test lasted between England and Australia. 3-0 down, two tests to play, and I'd be very surprised if it doesn't end 5-0. Let me explain the setup of this podcast this morning. So I am currently in a hotel in Truro in, you know, the beautiful part of the world that is Cornwall, recording from my hotel room. I am staring at Daniel Norcross, who has once come, uh, who has once again come dressed as a sort of train driver who's having a breakdown, sort of a train driver who's having a breakdown and Ah. addicted to crystal meth. (laughs) I I thought I was looking like Jeremy Corbyn, but is that much the same? Well, yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, one and the same. Isn't Jeremy Corbyn just a train driver and having a breakdown and addicted to crystal meth? Um, And Stephen Finn is not here at the moment. So let me explain. So Finney has been isolating in Australia the poor, the poor guy, um, if you've been following his escapades on Instagram, you know that he's been trapped in a hotel room in Adelaide for the last 10 days, whilst the rest of his TMS staff members got to fly and left him behind, a bit like a really bad, ver- like a really crap version of Home Alone. They all forgot about him <laughs> and, and left him and left him to fend for himself. In the big it's the tallest line. Macaulay Culkin I've ever seen <laughs> yeah, in my life. <laughs> tallest Kevin McAllister anyone's ever seen. And he got out. He got out a few hours ago. At the time of recording, it's nine in the morning in England. So he got out um, about something like about 15 hours so, ago or something. Yeah, about 16, 16 17 hours ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he was finally allowed to leave his hotel room. Um, and so Finney has messaged us saying... 
He's going to try and join the call at some point. He's currently drunk at a birthday party. What's amazing about this is he's only been in Australia for, you know, a few weeks. Most of that time has been spent isolating and he's getting invited to birthday parties. Nobody invites you and me to birthday parties in England, Dan. We've lived here our whole life. I know. I wouldn't accept at the moment. Um, <laughs> I'm too grumpy to go to a birthday party. You know, poor old Finney. <laughs> poor Finney has gone out on his first tour with TMS, first Ashes tour with TMS. And England have lost the Ashes. And, you know, he's seen three days of live cricket. The first three days at Adelaide. And England were already 3-0 down. <laughs> I, hope, I mean, you know, he's been brilliant to the TMS, but I hope they never send him out again if he's going to be such a bad luck charm for the England team. Um, I mean, we've got to get into it. We've, 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 we sadly have to talk about this, this England performance and the Test Series as a whole and the state of Test cricket in England as a whole. Before we do... We have mentioned a few times, it doesn't get any easier to admit, but Australia are brilliant. They've been absolutely magnificent. Oh, hang on. Hold that thought, because here comes the he's man roving. of the he's hour. Roving. It's Stephen Finn. He's out and about. He's, he's in public. He's not in a hotel room. Finney, that's where sky, are you, mate? sky behind him. That's sky behind him. Look at him. He's got fresh air. I'm, um, also, I'm at the bowling also, club. I'm at, I'm at Coogee Bowling Club. Of course you are. What, now, as in lawn bowls? Lawn bowls, look. <laughs> yeah, I can confirm. Really, this is a midlife crisis. He How is old a are you, bowling lawn. Sake? Look, I've, I've, got my, I've got my pearl necklace on. <laughs> there he does. He's got a little pearl necklace I've, on. He's I've got, got my dangly earring in. Oh, God. I feel him, I'm feeling very Elton John today. It's all good. Now, have you got any? Have you got any sort of little like a friendship bracelets, little bits of like uh, fabric in multicolors? Uh, not really. That, that could, be the, could be the next thing on my list. I mean, I'm, I'm not wearing a fucking tragic beret, so we're all good. <laughs> it's not a beret; it's a Jeremy Corbyn hat. <laughs> so, Finney, so you've been locked up for ten days. You're finally allowed yeah. out to go and see the big wide world and you immediately with your freedom, you head to a fucking bowling club. Yeah, it's great. I'm just mitigating the risks, you know, don't want to expose myself to any more um, dodgy viruses. So yeah, I'm, um, I've come to the bowling club to have a very sociable, socially distanced drink and a burger treating myself after being in lockdown for 10 days or not lockdown isolation for 10 days. Yeah. It's, um, very liberating to be here. I flew to Sydney today as well, so I'm in, I'm in Sydney with friends for a birthday party, so it's all good. Who, whose birthday party is it, if we may ask? Because Dan and I were just saying we don't even get invited to birthday parties in England, and here you are in Sydney living it up. Uh, yeah, my, one of my closest friends, Sam Robson, his fiance, it's her birthday today, so we're celebrating that, and their engagement as well, sort of. Hence why, um, hence why I've had a couple of beers. And they're hosting it at a bowling club. Yeah, that is a bit strange. Has he been called up to the England squad yet? Not yet, but he should be. To be fair, you've been saying this, you've been banging the Sam Robson drum. That sounds a bit weird. Um, you've, you've, <laughs> yeah, you've, you've been raving about Sam Robson for, for, on this podcast for months, actually, saying that he, he deserves another shot. And I was looking at the top county championship run scorers list earlier because I've got no life. And, and he's always up there. He's always up there. You, you're correct. You're spot on. You've got no life whatsoever. Um, <laughs> yeah, he is. He is up there. Yeah, he's a, he's a he's a very 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 good solid 
normal opening batsman with a normal technique, which I think is uh, is an underrated thing to be at the moment. Now, who else is at this birthday party? Is it like a who's who of the cricketing greats, or is it you and Sam Robson? No, it's actually it's actually very quiet. There's actually COVID's not that great in Sydney at the moment, but because I've had it, I'm sort of immune and can go out. So I'm um, I'm good as gold. But I think a few of the people here, there's like a a track and trace ping style system that wiped out about twenty people from the birthday party. So there's only seven or eight of us here having a very quiet drink and something to eat and then going home so um all the cricketing greats are not here apart from Stephen Finn and Sam Robson of course uh, yeah we don't talk well, in, about in, those in, ones. in fairness in fairness there are very few cricketing greats out there in Australia full stop at the moment Finn's <laughs> performance in the latest <laughs> test match is anything to go by <laughs> that's true there's not many future greats in this current Ashes squad as well I'll tell you that but Finney, what do you want to do? Because I don't want to distract you from your birthday party entirely. Are you, are you happy to join us or do you want to pop out and pop in? I've got 10 minutes. I've got 10 minutes for you. I mean, oh. you keep, you know, it's like it's a bit of a dictatorship, this podcast. It's like, yeah, I, I can't do any other time other than 7.45 on a Thursday evening when uh, when you're definitely going to have social plans. So <laughs> fuck you, but we're going to crack on and record anyway. So. <laughs> I mean, he it's has got like a doing a podcast with fucking Kim Jong Un. <laughs> Kim I'd love to see that. If, if it was a proper podcast with Kim Jong Un, Sunshine, you, you you would have been melted down into horse glue years ago because uh, yeah, you, you were frankly showing someone, a serious lack of respect who, to the dear leader. <laughs> someone who um, someone who would have batted out the last two and a half days without losing their wicket would was Kim Jong Un. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Didn't he? He went round the golf course in 18 shots in uh, North Korea. That's right. And I think he scored like a hat trick at the Football World Cup and, and, and God knows what else. Yeah, back in North Korea, England are 2 0 up in the Ashes. It's great. Exactly. Yeah. And Kim Jong un's not been dismissed. He's batted for 10 days. <laughs> yeah. Well, He's got to get an average at some point. Someone's got to run him out at the other end and then be executed, I would imagine. No, he'll be. Du- it'll be the only person ever to not have an average. <laughs> when, and now, to be honest, Kim Jong-un couldn't do any worse than the current uh, top order of the England side. I reckon we chuck him in just for just for shits and gigs, really. Wouldn't it be brilliant watching, watching Rory Burns punch gloves of Kim Jong-un at the change of overs? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we're going to do that, we should, we should get, are there any other dictators knocking about? Is there a Castro he could possibly open with? I can't remember. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. There's, there's a few dictators knocking around. Brother, isn't there? Yeah. Does Putin does Putin know where his off stump is? It's <laughs> a very very good question, one to which I have absolutely no answer. I suspect he probably does. <laughs> he probably knows where all the off stumps are. Yeah. they've got a very they've got a very very good intelligence system. Yeah, and he, and he wants Ukraine's off stump as well. Yeah, <laughs> is that what we can ask everyone to do? Put together a dictator eleven. Yes, good idea. I really idea. don't want to be targeted by by the KGB because we're slagging off Putin. Can I just make it clear that, you know, I welcome Vladimir Putin and my <laughs> Russian overlords. <laughs> well, you know that you know that mystery leak that you had in your flat? They they knew that that was it already. They they've been drip feeding cyanide into your flat before you before you even knew that you were talking about it. In fact, I've been feeling was... a bit breathless actually. I, I I put it down to the cigarettes, but now you mentioned it. It's been a bit worse after <laughs> the last couple well, of weeks. <laughs> They actually put enough cyanide in your roof to take down a buffalo, but your body's had so many worse substances in it over the years that you're a, you're a, you're a medical miracle. You're meant to be dead by now. They can't believe you're doing this podcast.
podcast, Bill. I'm not going to argue with any of that. <laughs> <laughs> As he likes another cigarette. <laughs> um, well, let, let's get into the cricket very quickly. If Finney's going to bless us with his presence for 10 minutes. I mean, Finney, I mean, I know you've only got probably now of those 10 minutes, uh, five minutes left because we've been talking about dictators. But... Um, your summary of uh, of first that that test match in particular and just how far away the England test side is from the Australian test side at the moment yeah i think people that thought that the teams were equal coming into this series just in terms of personnel and what they've done are probably off the mark i'd say i think warner smith labashane all average over 50 two of those over 60 in test matches which is a fantastic spine of a team and then stark hazelwood cummins as a seam bowling trio are outstanding, but they've been supplemented by Richardson, Nisa and um, Boland. I mean, six for seven. <laughs> what a phenomenal <laughs> set of bowling figures on Test Match debut. It was, um, it was quite something to watch, even though I was only watching it from my hotel room. Um, and Nathan Lyon, who's took 400 Test wickets as an off-spinner in Australia. So, yeah, I, I also, like, I... I think it's hard to blame the English players for what has happened here. Like, yes, their performances should have been better. And yes, their performances should have, sorry, could have shown more fight and character. But when you're dealing with the setup as it is in this country and all of the other things that go into the melting pot, no practice, COVID scares, et cetera, et cetera, I, I don't think you can really expect anything else. I mean, being bowled out for 68. And I know there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of people pissed off about how it's all happened in Australia this time round. Um, but I do think that they were on a bit of a hide into nothing um, going over there under these circumstances and given the decisions that have been made in English cricket recently. I've, I've got to ask you, Finney, because all the stuff that, you know, I've been reading the, the fallout and the reaction to, to this Test Series defeat um, you know, every single newspaper, every single sports website, they're all saying the same things that us three have been saying on this podcast for a long time now about the pitches in county cricket, about the time of year that they play county cricket, about the sort of bowling that does well at county cricket in England, um, about the fact that the ECB, the ECB have prioritised white ball cricket in the 100 over the last few years and stuff. And inevitably, this has affected the test side. So, this is all stuff that we've talked about in this podcast before that we don't necessarily have to go back over again. What I would say is as somebody that plays county cricket still to this day and is playing for Sussex in this new year with his fancy new earring, we know that ECB are never going to basically take a huge cut in finances and the money makes the world go round. And I don't even mind the fact that they found a way to make a lot of money with the 100. Realistically, what can the ECB do? What can be done to save the state of test cricket in this country because in 2015 England lost the World Cup in the white ball game and they revolutionised the way they played and fast forward they are probably the best team in the world in 2019 they were proven to be the best team in the world if four, five, six years from now England are going to be the best test side in the world what can we do in this country to give ourselves the best chance? Um, well, I th it's a, a big question and requires a lot of thoughts and big answer. Not someone who's had um, six or seven beers, <laughs> I'd say, at this present moment in time. But what I would say excuses, is excuses. unbelievable. Uh, I think I think there are there are a lot of issues that have to be addressed if people want Red Bull cricket to retain the um, the importance that people in England clearly feel it should do. 
given this test series and the way that it's gone. Um, there's a lot of anger out there, definitely, towards the players, which I think is unjust because the system is letting them down at the moment. I think expecting guys to go out there and face 92 mile an hour proper quick bowling on a hard, bouncy wicket when a majority of what they face in county cricket is 72 miles an hour and nibbling around at your knee roll. There are a very different set of skills that are required in those situations. Um, but I also think that it runs deeper than that. Um, and regardless of when the county cricket season is played, because you do still play on some good wickets. They're not all great because of the the window in the middle of the summer that is now used just for, for um, white ball cricket. But they're not all stinkers. It's not every single wicket that's like that. And there was a really interesting article where Paul Farbrace gave some comments in the week about how there's been a decline in coaching of defensive and four-day batting technique in young players that is being excused as letting players express themselves as opposed to a letting them become equipped to be able to deal with batting for long periods of time in four-day cricket, which requires a very different set of skills to that that is needed to go and smash around the ball in T20 cricket. So I think when you look deeper than the surface... There are a lot of things that need to be unrooted and rewired and reset if you want to compete against Australia and the best test teams away from home. Because we will always compete with Australia at home because the ball does more and their players aren't as good when the ball does more. Their batters can't score the runs when the ball does more, aside from Steve Smith in the last few years. So, yeah, if you want to even up the playing field and make it more competitive when playing away from home, I think you have to give players a chance from a younger age to be able to develop a technique and to be taught a technique properly by proper coaches, which is basically what the article that Paul Farbrace was, um, was quoted in is saying. I mean, there's an issue there, though, isn't there? Because if they're already not being coached like that, then you've got to start, you've got to have a whole new generation get coached up to be able to do that. That's, that seems to be one significant issue. And the second significant issue seems to be incentives i don't know where the incentive is for people to play red ball cricket and to devote themselves to red ball cricket there's an awful lot of talented cricketers that have come through the system in the last five or six years who haven't really made it to red ball cricket or if they might have done um have been discarded too early i mean you look at the ages age profiles of the batters of each side and england have blooded young batters early haven't they hamid i mean their first test match England played against New Zealand in the summer. Five of their batters were 23 and younger. It's insane. You look at Australia's batting lineup. It's older. It's more experienced. Surely you need to have had time to develop those skills. And yet the guys who might have been able to do that in later life, the likes of James Vince, they're nowhere near the radar anymore. And it seems that we've got our selection processes upside down. And I don't know where the incentives are. How, how do you incentivize people to devote to red ball cricket? Do you need to? have more central contracts and Red Bull central contracts? Is that is that a solution or at least part of one? I, I, I'd like to ask Finney about that because it's a very good question, Dan. But I, having seen the reaction to this defeat, not just from people on social media, idiots of a Twitter account like myself, but, you know, ex-players uh, and recently ex-players, you know, Mo and Ali, Jonathan Trott, um, people like that that have been discussing it. Their reaction has been, uh, Matt Pryor as well has been very vocal, Kevin Peterson. People have been so disappointed in the performance and the results and the state of the England test side. But I get the impression from those players 
that Test cricket is still seen as the pinnacle for players. I, I do really genuinely get that impression. And so I guess maybe the financial incentives aren't there, but I do get a reaction. I do seem to see a reaction from players that they still believe that Test cricket is the ultimate format. Am, am I being, am I just being really naive because I love Test cricket, Finney? Or do you still think, with the players that you know, is it still seen as the ultimate target? Yes, definitely. 100%. As far as I'm concerned, yeah, anyone every player that I know um, would regard Test Match Cricket as the ultimate format to be successful in and to gauge yourself and judge yourself as a cricketer. Yeah, unequivocally, I'd say. But, I'm, I'm, but you know, it's a really different situation, though, from one 15 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago. There are certain guys in the side, uh, really good players, but if, they, if they're fighting for their place with the bat, for example, but they, they fail. Some of these guys have got England T20, England ODI, IPL, all sorts of other things that is going to back them up. So the pressure to perform, I'm sure there is a huge pressure to perform. It's a different pressure from 15, 20 years ago, where if you discarded from the test team, you basically drifted off, you know. And it's, you've got a very different kind of landscape for yeah. players to have to perform in. And also, there's one other thing that, we've focused massively on is England's batting. But here's a damning statistic. If you take out the 2010-11 Ashes, England have bowled out Australia twice in a test match in Australia. Twice. Mm. They've taken 20 wickets twice in 23 test matches. So, yeah. you know, it's, it, it looks dreadful when England have yet another batting collapse. But actually, you know, Australia won the Ashes in three tests in 2001 inside 3,900 balls. This time they won it in 5,113 balls. In 2013-14, they won it in 5,500 balls. It's been a perennial problem that Australia's bowlers in Australia can take 20 wickets. And that's not just because of the batting. It's because of the exceptionally good bowlers they have. Come in Stark, Hazelwood, as Vinny has said, backed up by... Nisa, who saw Boland coming, Jai Richardson. You know, there's a, this runs deeper. England can't take 20 wickets. They've got a very good bowler in James Anderson, but he bowls, he takes three and a bit wickets a test. You're not going to win a test if your spearhead's doing that when Cummins is taking five wickets a test. You know, they've got better bowlers for those conditions. And England have been unlucky. You know, they didn't have Jofra Archer. They had an alternative uh, spearhead, I suppose, in, in Ollie Stone, who's unproven at test level, but he got injured as well. Ollie Robinson is, is a man for bowler, but are you going to win test matches in Australia where Anderson and Robinson, are, are, you're relying on them to bowl sides out? Actually, not enough spotlight has been put on Wood and Wokes and Broad and Leach who haven't been able to back up England's two Premier Seamers, whereas Australia, once their two Premier Seamers come off, you get bombarded with even more brilliance, and then Nathan Lyon can hold an end for a day and a half if you want to, not that he needs to. He's only got to hold it for about 30 overs. It's The, the bowlers have got to look at themselves as well. We fixate with the batting because it's more horrifying to watch. But Australia got 470 and 440 in the first two games on pitches that really did stuff, which is another reason why I'm didn't they bowl first at Brisbane? But anyway, that's, I've got to <laughs> um, let that go. No, you, you are right. Look, the, the, the bowlers have looked blunt at times. They've looked like they've not troubled Australian batsmen at times. And also, you know, England have fielded and bowled and batted terribly. And you're right, the batting kind of bears the brunt of it. I think part of that is because 
We've seen this series coming for a long time. Us three have all sat here at one point or another and said it could be 5-0 before the series started. Because um, the batting has been, let's be honest, pretty atrocious now for a long, long time. And uh, I think the fact that we didn't have great results at home this summer against New Zealand and India, admittedly two very good sides, has meant that we can't just paper over the cracks. What we normally do is go away to India or Australia, get spanked. We're all panicking that the test team's in trouble. Then we come back to England, roll somebody over, and we forget about how rubbish the test team is until we next go back to India or Australia. <laughs> but uh, I think not having the good results at home this summer as well has really, you know, really highlighted how far away this test tide is from other sides at the moment. One other thing on that, because I think this home away thing is really significant. I'd love to know what Finney thinks about this. But I've heard the people in the ECB be pretty relaxed about England losing in Australia because it happens at three o'clock in the morning and they don't get any revenue from England playing in Australia. They get revenue from Australia playing in England. How much do they actually care about winning abroad? What they care about is the eyeballs they get watching on Sky and listening on TMS back in England when cricket is actually like a big sport. In the winter, it recedes a bit. And in Australia, it recedes completely because it's a god-awful time of day. Yeah, that's the key thing here. Finney, having seen the reaction, though, if the ECB ever thought that, you know, that Test cricket's dying out from a fan's point of view, I still don't think there's anything bigger than the Ashes. I've never seen a reaction to an England defeat like this before in a very, very, very long time. No, no. And from a player's perspective, the guys want to do as best as they can in Test match cricket, and especially in Australia. I think that's how everyone gauges themselves how they do in Ashes series away from home um, certainly from a player's perspective that's the way that you view it um, because it's the ultimate test for you as a cricketer because England haven't won here really that much ever so to challenge yourself in these conditions is what the players want to do to prove themselves as the best players if the system is failing them and letting them down then it becomes infinitely harder for them to be able to do that which is frustrating from a player's perspective. And if the ECB did take that stance of they don't really care about it and have sort of thrown the players under the bus by just sending them down there to fulfil a series as opposed to really let them challenge, then that would be really disappointing. And I really need this. Oh, well, yeah, what, let's get a live one. A live, a live finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm um I'm I'm gonna go for a piss because I'm really gonna I'm really close to wetting myself at this important juncture of the podcast. <laughs> you don't get enough of this on podcast. One of the members getting up. So I'll t- tell you now for people listening that Finney is now walking and going for a pee. Why don't you introduce us to some people at your party, Finney? I'm not. I can't do that to them. I'm afraid. <laughs> Instead, we just. I was going to just trust the. I was just going to thrust the camera in someone's face and then realised it was recording. So I'd probably get their I'll thoughts on the England test loss. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I can almost certainly tell you that, that they couldn't give a fuck what happened in the cricket. They're Australian. <laughs> just, as you're, just as you're going for your piss, um, when I was in Australia four years ago, I had the, it's, it's, it's the kind of phone-in of shame that happens at the third test when England have lost. And it was at Perth when I had to uh, preside over that one for Five Live. Have you had to do that one where people ring up and say, it's an absolute disgrace, I'm ashamed to be British, um, they don't care, yeah, they I don't did care it with, about um, the badge? Can you hear? I'm in the toilet now. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know if you can broadcast. I'm literally having a wee as I speak to you. This, is, um, this has got I, to be a uh, podcast first, this. This is golden <laughs> in so many ways. <laughs> it's actually really clear because I've been drinking lots. Um, so, I yeah, I did it with Adrian Childs the other day. <laughs> The five live breakfast phone in. <laughs> I've got, we've got, this is, this is magnificent. We've got Stephen Finn holding his, his, his area in one hand, having a wee, whilst talking to us on his phone in his other hand, telling us about the time he did a phone in with Adrian, Adrian Child. I, I like the fact that that comes with a description of the consistency of his urine, which is a most <laughs> unusual thing for a podcast. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Finney, whilst you've got your hands full, uh, I'll focus my next question on, on, on Dan Norcross. This, this whole idea that the ECB... Well, I'll tell you what, I, I might clear off. I might clear off at this juncture because because I've already let myself down enough today by doing this whilst having a week. So... I, 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 Finney, I think you should go and enjoy your party, mate. And me and Dan will, will put the England cricket team to rights. But you go and have fun. And thank you for joining us, even if you were trying to enjoy a party at a bowls club. I've given you some thoughtful insight. So uh, that, that should do me for this week, I think. Yeah, I think you've, you've also done. put your camera so frighteningly close to your head that it looks, <laughs> it's seriously distorting your face. But look at the well, side. That's it's distorted anyway. I think that might be what you're smoking that's distorting my face, Dan. But... <laughs> and, and, and the cyanide. Uh, right, Finney, you have a good night, mate. All the best. Thanks for joining us. Right, boys. Catch you later. Cheers, mate. Happy New Year. Unbelievable. Stephen Finn there, uh, ex-England cricketing legend, uh, having a wee whilst talking about Adrian Childs. Now, Dan, the question I was going to ask you was for all this talk, right, of the ECB only being interested in, in money and the white ball game, which is lucrative for them in the summer, and I'm sure there's a huge element of truth to that, I, it feels also incredibly short-sighted to me because I don't mind if the ECB make loads of money. It doesn't bother me, but I do think their job is to make a strong England cricket team. So it bothers me when that money isn't being invested well or they're causing trouble to the England team as a result of making money. But it seems incredibly short-sighted to me because I mentioned there the reaction to this defeat. As much as they may think, oh, there's no revenue in Test cricket, blah, 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 blah. The next generation of England cricket fan needs to be inspired. And I don't think, and even the 2019 World Cup, I don't think inspired as many cricket fans who are ultimately the one that are going to give the ECB their money as the 2005 Ashes. I still believe a very strong, successful England test side will ultimately make the ECB way more money than the 100 or the, the T20 Blast because it's very well, it's all very well and good putting on these tournaments, but if no young cricket fans care enough to want to come and watch it, then you're not going to make any money. Yeah, it's really perilous. It's a perilous strategy because actually the test scene makes them a huge amount of money. It's what um, broadcasters spend more money on and it's what more people watch. It's what more people listen to. If you get the listing figures to an average test match special day, it's frequently four or five times more for test matches than it is for one-day internationals or T20s. So it, it's really important that the test side thrives, definitely. They've been getting away with it because the test side's thrived at home, and that's kind of the issue between the home and away mm. tension. Um, and it's, it's the home broadcasting rights that feed money into the game, which they then say feeds money back down into the grassroots to create the players in the future. They consider it to be a virtuous circle, but it hasn't been virtuous. And I'm afraid the reasons run extremely deep. 
And they're not all solvable just by a magic wand that the ECB can perform and change the fixture schedule. Everyone thinks it's about April, May and September. I mean, that does affect seamers, uh, spinners, quite definitely. And it does affect the kind of seamers who tend to prosper. But let's not go too far down that road. If you check the scores in April, actually, pitches and the balls move less, partly because the conditions are a bit cooler. So it doesn't nibble around as much in April. You'll see like higher scores there than you will in May, where things actually really get pretty weird, and the back end of September. So those areas of the season are problematic. They don't play in June, July enough. That's very true. But adding another couple of fixtures, how much difference will that make? There's a couple of stark statistics. 54 first-class matches were played by the playing 11 that took the field at Melbourne that weren't test matches between them. That's 11 players between them played 54 red ball matches this year that weren't test matches. Some of them played none. Some of them, Rory Burns, played seven. And in fact, when he played his red ball cricket for Surrey in April and May, he came into the New Zealand series and got 100. Then he didn't play in June and July and looked hopelessly out of form against India before getting into form. Some players need to play more red ball cricket to thrive. Some bowlers need to, to have their workloads managed. So you look at Anderson and he does play some county cricket because he can because he doesn't play white ball cricket. But there's a whole load of things that are going into this melting pot that are meaning that England aren't good enough and put that against the fact that Australia and their conditions are extremely good. But India's bowling lineup last year in India, in Australia, managed to take 20 wickets. They had a better bowling lineup. England didn't have that. So there's all sorts of things that feed into the problem for the batters in Australia. If Australia are bowled out for 250 at Brisbane, then they can't, and especially if England are bowled first, then their bowlers can't afford to have fielders round the back constantly. Bowlers can't afford to bowl attacking lengths constantly. There's stuff that happens within matches that make differences, and that's part of the bowling lineup as well as the batting lineup. And it feels at the moment particularly grim because you look around and you think, well, where are the where are the selection choices that they didn't make that they should that are glaringly obvious? And you can't find many because that squad looks about right. As, as Joe Root said, he said those are the 18 best Red Bull cricketers in the country. And, and, he, and he wasn't just saying that to keep, you know, to keep their morale up after a defeat. I think he, he genuinely meant it. And he, and he probably is correct. I agree with everything you said, except for none of this Aussie lot have played much first-class cricket. A few of them, but most of them have just come back from the, from the T20 World Cup. Like Well, the well their, batters, their batters had, hadn't they? Cameron Green had... Harris had, Travis Head had. But internationally, New Zealand and India and all the big sides, their guys yeah. don't play much red ball cricket in between test matches anymore either. Yeah, now that that's that is a big yeah, that is a perfectly valid point. And it is a weird one, isn't it? When you watch like Rahul and Sharma, I think this is here's a really indicative thing about what is going wrong on the on the England batting level. And KL Rahul and Rohit Sharma on the first day at Lords, England put them in on a green top with Slate grey skies, and they crawled to 60 odd for none in the first session. Mm. And they just left and left, and they didn't look to go after it. This is, these are two guys who are stellar T20 bats in the IPL. They play a shitload of white ball cricket. So, how is it that they're able to adapt to circumstance and England's batters don't with the same acuity? They just, they just don't do it. Yeah. Now, part of that is funky coaching. I mean, I spent um, three three nights exhaustingly uh, commentating for BT with Mark Ramprakash 
Um, Mark <laughs> Ramprakash is tearing his hair out, former England batting coach, tearing his hair out at the sort of funky coaching that goes on. I mean, we saw England's openers being asked to bat on one leg the other day in the nets. And I just heard howls of derision and outrage from the likes of Steve James and Mike Selvey and Graham Fowler. Um, I think Ramps thought it was completely nuts as well. But what is this funky nonsense? Why is it that you look at Ollie Pope and he starts his career for Surrey, averaging 60, averaging 100 at the Oval on a Test match wicket, um, getting a really good 100 against a really good Yorkshire side with international bowlers in their side, and he's batting on Midland leg, um, and he's able to adapt to circumstance, and then suddenly you find him funkily moving across to off stump, getting trapped LBW, then moving back, then deciding that he's got to get busy and come down the wicket at spinners. And it's like his brain is telling him that there must be funky solutions to things. Is it his brain or is it coaches? I don't know. This is kind of exactly my point. And what I, I want to finish talking about is, is, is exactly that, is that somewhere these guys are not being coached well enough. Now, that Paul Farbrace uh, article that Finney touched on earlier I was reading that. And Farbrace admits that they've probably got it wrong, but with the one-day side, when 2015, when it had like completely lost its way, they were sort of given this idea of, right, you know, you're good cricketers, go out there and express yourself, show off your skill set. And Farbrace thinks the same thing's now being said to the test side. But the problem is that doesn't work in test cricket. Test cricket is about a test of your technique and your temperament. And you have to learn how to have a better technique. You have to train yourself to have a better technique. And you have to mentally learn to have a better temperament. And that's what, you know, I look at Paul Collingwood um, as somebody who's, you know, involved in that England dressing room as the epitome of somebody who probably not the most gifted batsman in the world, but squeezed every single possible run out of his ability that he possibly could. Now, there's more talented guys in this England lineup right now than Paul Collingwood, you know, Josh Butler, Johnny Bairstow, you name it. Mm. Who, who I mean, Johnny, Johnny Bairstow has got a batting average when the ball is on the stumps have you seen this statistic? Johnny Bairstow has got a batting average if the ball is on the stumps in his test career of five. Five. Not four, not six, five. <laughs> now, that means somewhere Johnny Bairstow has got a glaring technical problem. A glaring technical problem. And this is why I want to finish asking you about the future of Chris Silverwood. Now, I think it's too easy to say, get rid of Chris Silverwood. This isn't football, where after a few bad results, you sack the manager. And I do think Chris Silverwood, because of all the mentions that Finney mentioned earlier on, um, is in charge of a test team that is almost destined to fail at the moment. But my two issues I've got with Chris Silverwood, and he seems like a lovely bloke, by the way. This is nothing personal against Chris Silverwood. He seems lovely. My two complaints I've got with him are, he's had a lot of time with some of these guys. You know, Rory Burns. Zach Crawley. Zach Crawley's still getting out because his back comes down at the wrong angle. Um, you know, Hamid to a lesser extent. But Bairstow in particularly, he's had a lot of time with these guys now and I've not seen a single player improve their technique. Not a single one. In fact, the only two players that played well under him consistently are Anderson and Root. And let's be honest, those guys coached themselves. They trained themselves. They, Chris Silverwood has not made Joe Root into a world-class batsman. Well, and, and, and Ollie Robinson, who sort of came into the team having honed his technique in county cricket, let's remember, Completely. and has been incredibly successful. Completely you know? that. So I honestly, hand on heart, I can't think of a player that Chris Silverwood I've seen actually improve. If anything, their 
they're getting worse and their techniques are getting more extravagant and extreme underneath yeah. him. Um, and the other thing I've got to say about Chris Silverwood, sorry, Dan, but my final thing, and I feel I, I don't like just slagging a bloke off and that's not what I'm doing. I just think that maybe his position is untenable. Is The other thing is he said there was a lot of talk about this big meeting they had before this test match. You know, some hope we heard some home truths and, you know, Chris Silverwood sat us down and, you know, told us some things we needed to hear. And that's the response he gets from that meeting is that performance which would suggest to me that also Chris Silverwood doesn't have a way of motivating or inspiring these players as well. I just feel like from the outside looking in, I can't see what Chris Silverwood has done for this test side in quite a long time now. He's not that new. Yeah, it's really weird and different, isn't it, the coaching cricket. So Chris Silverwood is the supremo and he's been made a supremo by Ashley Giles. So he's the sort of chief selector as well. The assumption being that because he spent so long in county cricket, he would, he would know... Um, you know the, the talent pool that to select from, but he's, it's not quite like football where you know Jose Mourinho can go out with certain tactics, Pep Guardiola with totally different tactics, takes the same players and gets them to you to, to work in a different system. Essentially, Test cricket doesn't require a system; it requires batters to bat and bowlers to bowl, and they've got to be executing their skills in that horrible phrase as well as they possibly can. And I don't know that Chris Silverwood is there to sort out Ollie Pope's technique or Rory Burns' technique or Zach Crawley's technique or Asi Bermese's technique. There's batting coaches there, uh, but the batting coaches aren't actually there to, to tell people who are supposed to be virtually the finished article. When you come into test cricket, you should be there because you're the best batter in the, in the country. And you ought to have that technique by now. So there's, it, there's a lot of complications going into that because there's lots of different coaches and getting into the ears of different batters. So I can't, I'm not going to put the blame for the way England bat, you know, the techniques that they use on Chris Silverwood's shoulders. He was a bowler apart from anything else. And he's there to manage the side. I will, I will say that I thought he's made some insanely funky selection decisions. I think they picked the team they should have picked for Adelaide at Brisbane and vice versa. I think they took the wrong uh, opening batter out at Melbourne because Rory Burns had just started to find his feet. He's a bloke, as I said earlier, who needs to bat more to get into a rhythm. And his last innings in his was, was a pretty decent 34, actually, at Adelaide, while England were trying to draw that game. I think he's picked the wrong bowlers at the wrong times. And all of those things don't help. England would still have lost, I'm fairly certain. But you've got to make those decisions right to give your side the best possible chance. England had to bowl first at Brisbane. You know, Anderson probably had to play at Brisbane rather than look at the numbers that say, well, at Brisbane, Anderson averages 70. This is being enthralled to numbers. He's, he averages 70 when the sun is out and the gabba is flat as fuck and he's bowling with a rank rubbish kookaburra ball. The ball is better. The skies were grey. The pitch was green. You've got to have some instinctive cricket smarts there that allows you to throw away your inter, you know, numbers base. But they're interpreting the numbers wrong. You know, not, numbers happen in conditions. Cricket is a game of conditions. So you've got to quiz the conditions and the numbers together. You can't just say, oh, well, we're at Brisbane, ipso facto, this is going to happen. Which is, I mean, I think that is a structural problem with the way England set themselves up in, in test matches. Um, I like Chris Silverwood a lot as well. And I think his position is untenable simply because you can't preside over um, a failure as bad as this one. It feels worse than 06-07. It feels worse than 13-14 and worse than 17-18 because it's happened quicker and more dramatically. 
And it's, it may not be 100% fair, but it's going to be impossible, I think, really, for him to continue as England coach beyond this series. It's going to be extremely difficult for Joe Root. There isn't an alternative captain. But, but does he really want to do it? He, bless him. I mean, when he was scoring three times as many runs as the next highest run scorer, England went into this test match with Joe Root having scored more runs than nine of the other 10 players combined. If you took out Dawid Milan, he got more runs than nine of the other 10 combined this year. That's incredible. He actually had more runs than the next four highest run scorers this year. And do you know who those four run scorers were? Sibley, Pope, Burns and Lawrence. And not one of those four was actually playing. So the planning is mental. If you, if you think that, you know, if the problem is the batting, then how come the four batters who've actually scored the most runs this year are not even in the side? That shows like a kind of either a failure of plans or plans unravelling under circumstance. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be difficult for them, isn't it? Uh, I, I think so. And also maybe that dressing room, which I'd imagine is a pretty bleak place at the moment, need, needs a bit of a freshening up. I, I would I would love to have seen, because, you know, he Silverwood said we have to take some positives from this tour. We have to find a way to take something out of this tour. I would have loved to have seen an exciting side for the last two test matches, but there's nobody out there. Apart from Shakib Mahmood, I'd have loved to have seen a sort of Parkinson, Mahmood, Bohannon, uh, you name it, a few exciting sexy names, even Liam Livingston, I'd love to have seen out there for, for two games, but we can't even do that. So what we're going to do for the last two test matches is, is probably see Broad, maybe Bess, maybe Burns will come back in. So there's not much to get excited about for this remaining series. What I would say is the West Indies tour seems like a great opportunity to maybe... Uh, I know that the players aren't necessarily... I do believe that a lot of the best test players in the country are in this team, as scary as that sounds. But I'd love to see the West Indies tour seen as a chance to write, OK, new generation. Finally... Just one stat to finish on. You mentioned all the stats there about how much better Joe Root is than the rest of the, the team with the bat. Um, and that may be one argument for if he wants to. Personally, if I was Joe Root, I don't know if I'd want to carry on captaining at the moment. But the only argument maybe for keeping him on as captain is that it seems to have got even the, the best out of his batting in the last 12 months or so. Um, but the top run scorers for England this year are Joe Root in first on 1,708, Rory Burns on 530, and extras on 412. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make leg bias, captain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need, look, we need, in the West Indies, we need to build our team around leg bias, I think. Yeah. It, 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 look, it's a bleak prospect. And the last two test matches are going to be a tough a tough watch. I mean, I, I want to finish by um, expressing solidarity and sympathy with everybody who stayed up and watched it. Uh, because... Cricket needs fans, and it is amazing how resilient England fans are in the bleak midwinter to be staying up to watch what feels increasingly and has been increasingly inevitable. Shows superb dedication. It shows that there is a passion and a love for the game, and that passion and love will have to be, um, you know, they'll have to be a team that will, that will keep on supplying that. I'd, I think COVID might also be fascinating. If there's a bit of COVID in the camp, and we've seen it, there were six people around the camp who've had it. If there's an outbreak in the camp, what happens? Do England suddenly call up big bash players? There's an 11 you can make out of big bash players. There's Joe Clark, who's a, a very fine prospect in red ball cricket until very recently. No one talked about him. There's James Vince knocking about. You mentioned Saqib Mahmood. 
will these guys be drafted in dramatically? Will the Hobart test? I mean, you know, with COVID raging in Sydney, there's there's plenty of stories still to come. Are they going to get out to the Hobart test? Will the broadcasters ever be able to field the same team two test matches running? Because if you if you've been following what's been happening there, you know, Glenn McGrath has come on and off waiting for a COVID test here and there. Isha Gyu has been in Sydney because Fox have needed to split their broadcast to make sure they can keep going in the event of COVID. You know, TMS has been off air and then I've had to come on with Tuppers and do one night at Adelaide and then BT have changed their, their teams around. It's, it's mayhem. The whole tour is mayhem and the only consistent thread that runs through this is that Pat Cummins is the most astonishingly brilliant bowler in the world. Oh, oh. And even he, he bowled about as good a spell. I mean, before we get into sort of performative anguish about how terrible England are, let us just pause to remember that, that 12 overs on the second night at Melbourne, when Cummins steamed in, couldn't get a wicket, Stark and Boland got him. But it was the most gripping, most brilliant theatre. They're a wonderful team to watch. They're actually quite likeable, which is upsetting for many English people. And we're blessed to live in the time of Pat Cummins because you get to see an absolute genius and a master at his work. Andy's captain. I think it's kind of lovely that we've got. Yes, but you must be thinking this. You're a fast bowler, oh. fast bowling captain who's a who's a lovely fella. I mean, let's let's revel in that. I I I, I completely agree. I have to admit, I don't think I've ever heard an Australian cricket crowd quite like it was during those twelve hours. It was it was fever pitch. I've never heard anything quite like it. It was stunning to watch, and I agree with you. That let the final word go to Pat Cummins for first of all being a superb bowler relentlessly accurate relentlessly accurate secondly let's focus on the fact that he's doing a great job as a captain a bowling captain and thirdly let's focus on the fact that he is the best looking man i've ever seen in my life god he's beautiful isn't he and and and, and you know he's such a lovely man that do you remember when he was at this peak of utter beauty he gave himself a terrible terrible haircut in the IPL just to bring him back into the pack a little bit just, just to make that's, him a bit that's more how relatable and human yeah, yeah fair enough <laughs> well, let, well, well we'll finish on that note but Dan lovely to see you mate I'll let you get back into bed and uh, and I hope Putin doesn't murder you anytime soon well that's that's a very positive thought for me to go back to bed on you have a lovely holiday <laughs> cheers mate <laughs> see you next week bye bye cheers Podcast Network. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24 7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.